0: Hello, my name is Taylor Clement and I'm the head of Kirk Day School. I'm Ben Porter. I'm the senior pastor at Kirk of the Hills.
1: I'm Kent Nippa. I'm the communications director at Covenant Seminary.
2: And on today's podcast, we're going to be following up on last week's and discussing media. And again, the goal of this podcast is to help parents through issues and give tools and considerations in parenting for topics that our students face each day. So as we get into this, we, we want to go a little bit deeper and take a different purview from two KDS parents and two people who also have seminary degrees that can help us wrestle with this idea of media. What are we watching? What are we reading? What are we putting into our hearts and our minds that impact our parenting and the way that we help our kids develop a Christian worldview? So Ben, I wanna start with you. Uh, You're going through a sermon series right now. You're talking about the 21st century Jesus. You've talked about celebrity. You've talked about motion pictures. Tell me, what's standing out about Jesus in his storytelling to you?
0: Well, it's interesting. Uh, when you get to Mark chapter 4, Jesus starts teaching in parables. And they're, they're little word pictures, and they have the elements, many of the elements of your, your classic storytelling work. So you've, you've got character development, you've got um, tension in the narrative. In um, some of them you have kind of a climactic moment and resolution. And so uh, what Jesus is doing is he's capturing the power of story for kingdom purposes to explain to his audience that he is coming to initiate a new kingdom, to, to draw them in with intrigue and to teach them in indirect ways how they can themselves uncover the mystery of what this kingdom of God is going to be like. It's it's all the same things Hollywood is doing uh, as they produce movies, but he's doing it not just to entertain and not really even just to teach but to transform people's lives and hearts.
2: One of the things that at least has come to mind to me as an adult as I began reading novels or great stories or great books is often the fact that when I find an amazing story it's easy to flip that and see it in scripture. So the David and Goliath story for sports or, or war, um, you know, Harry Potter, even and not to give the way the end of the book, but it's very associated with with Christ and His resurrection. And J.K. Rowling even said so. Uh, there, there's just a lot of interest there because so much of Christianity does shape our storytelling and the way we like stories. Now, Kent, one of the things I would love to hear from you, knowing you your affinity for certain shows that you and I have in common. Um, what stands out from your worldview having that seminary degree but you you pay a lot of attention to how things are portrayed in your job how do you communicate well how do you communicate a story either over photos over video so what what things stand out to you most uh, particularly through a Christian worldview um, that you feel like man that's this is really good um, and there's more depth there than, than the average
1: for me I think I'm drawn to two two things in particular one Do they portray what they're portraying well? So, do they use aspects of photography? You know, do they they use good aspects of design, photo composition, in cinematography, videography, in editing? Um, Do they do things well that accommodates that encapsulates a story, that wraps around a story well to really tell it to its fullest potential? Uh, And two, I'm when it comes to actual story in particular, I'm I think I'm drawn to things that. Help me understand my own life and the world around me better. Um, <clears throat> so I'm I'm drawn particularly to stories that don't just ask a question of what happened, but rather ask the question of what does it mean? Uh, because as I grow older, I'm I'm always looking for ways to better understand my own life and how the Lord has created the world and us humans as to work um, before Him. So I, I think I'm I'm drawn to stories that I think can help me understand that.
2: Which is why you love Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants so much. Uh, let the record note, I have never seen that show. <laughs> it's a movie, but that's cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so so let's shift gears, though. And, and the reason why I, th- I threw that insult in at Kent is is this. Um, what are what are some of your favorite books, uh, Ben? What are some of your favorite movies that have kind of impacted you as you've gone from, you know, average Joe Christian to now being a, a minister parent and, and really impacting the spiritual lives of others.
0: Well I think like a lot of people I love the books, the stories, the movies that uh, capture you know the noble struggle of, of good heroically trying to overcome some imminent threat of evil and I love those for all the same reasons everybody else loves them. I love I think really it goes back to something you said a minute ago in, in every good story, we kind of hear echoes of the gospel story. And yeah. really, the gospel story is the original story. You know, it's fascinating how the Bible itself is not a book of how tos, it's not a book of theoretical principles and values and virtues. The Bible is a narrative, it's a story. You know, it's a chronological account of how God has uh, created and then how he has interacted with his world. And so, every little story within the big stories pointing back to the grand narrative. So I love, I love big epics. I love, I love the grand narratives, you know, like, like the Braveheart, Gladiator, those kinds of things. Um, I love in a more literary sense, you already mentioned the Harry Potter series, love the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lord of the Rings, all those classics that, um, get so much attention because they are so, they, they do such a beautiful job of capturing, um, a, a creative and a unique way of telling this grand story. Uh, I, I've learned about myself. I love books, movies that take me places. You know this earth is such a it's an incredible place and I love to travel but I'll probably never get to many places on, on planet earth and so I love books that take me places like Mount Everest. Um, I read one of my favorite books of all time was Into Thin Air. It was, yeah. it was captivating by Krackauer. John Krakauer. Yeah. Um, it took me there I'll probably never really go there but I was, I was like living there while I read it. Uh, old Man in the Sea takes me to the ocean one of my favorite places. Wendell Berry is one of my favorite authors. He takes me to this agrarian almost uh, you know um, idealized pastoral setting um, back toward the turn of the century. So those are some of the ways I love to be entertained that that get inside me.
2: Yeah. Kent. what about you? What are some books, themes that you see um, kind of impacting you uh, more specifically than when you're selecting a show to watch, movies to, to go see, books to read?
1: Mm-hmm. I echo like a lot of what Ben said. I mean, I'm I'd say one of the reasons that I'm a Christian today is because of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, because it was the very first time that I'd ever read Uh, a book series that really captured my heart and not just my imagination. Lewis wrote those books in a way that reflected not only the narrative of the gospel, but also I'd say um, what you might call the music of the gospel as well, which is the way that humans are supposed to work when they encounter evil, the way humans are supposed to work when they encounter the one who created, uh, who is good. And then also set within this just this rich fantasy world as well. I mean, like with Ben, uh, C.S. Lewis once said that we're all looking for windows to other worlds. We're all looking for other windows to look out of where we can see worlds that look very different from our daily working world. So things like that are, are really fascinating to me. I mean, as, as far as movies go, like I said, I'm tend to, uh, drawn to I'm drawn to things that are, um, I don't know, maybe a little bit slower than most, but more contemplative, more... That really show uh, a theme really well. So you know, if I was just to go through like my top favorite movies, I mean, it would be movies like the Sh- a movie like The Shawshank Redemption, which has been Internet Movie Database's top movie of uh, the top 250 movies for the past two decades, I think. A lot of language in it, a lot of some graphic things, but it depicts the reality of uh, evil. But it also, I think, is the truest depiction of redemption that I've seen on film. I'd say, for me personally, it's a movie like Field of Dreams because there's just something about guys and dads and baseball. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, I'd say movies like uh, 13 Conversations About One Thing. A great movie to watch for the group sometime and then ask at the end, what's the one thing about? Um, or even much more recently, a movie like The Way Way Back, which is, I think, a fantastic movie about what it is to grow up in a family where you don't talk about
2: anything. One of my all-time favorite movies.
1: Yeah, it's it. I'm sure most people haven't seen it. Um, it was a bit of an a kind of independent film. Steve Carell is in it, who plays uh, a man that you just despise. So that is a testament to his acting, uh, because I'm sure a lot of people love The Office. But um, yeah, it's about a boy who goes to his mom's boyfriend's summer home for the summer. And so it's just he and his mom, and she's in this relationship with Steve Carell. And so he has to, he is left basically alone to fend for himself at this summer house with a bunch of people he doesn't really know who don't understand him and don't try to understand him, Uh, and he ends up finding this alternate community, uh, which is a water park, and he, unbeknownst to his mom and to everyone else, he actually gets a job there that he hides from everyone, and when you see him at this water park, he actually becomes a new person. He becomes, I'd say, more of himself in a way that you don't get to see when he goes home, because at home, there's honesty is not safe. There's a lot of hiding, shoving things under the rug, and so therefore, this teenager just, intuitively assumes and knows that I can't be fully myself in this environment I have to be I have to be kind of the lowest common denominator the least part of myself possible in order to function Uh, but it's a great movie about what happens when you meet this alternate community wherein people are asking you to be yourself
2: and you can actually flourish and come to life yeah it's a phenomenal movie I couldn't couldn't recommend it highly enough and I would agree with the two of you. I do love some of the, the broader narratives. One of my favorite movies is is Master and Commander mm-hmm. of the Bar Side of the World, uh, another Russell Crowe movie. Um, love that movie. Um, but I would say probably speaking into shows that have that the depth, that have a reflective quality to it, along with some humor, some lightheartedness, are probably gonna be um, my favorites. So. Uh, the Wonder Years is a phenomenal show. I think, I think the office uh, I've mentioned before is, is one of my favorites, 30 rock. I love the comedies. But then um, getting into some of the British shows uh, that I've mentioned um, to, to you guys before, Endeavor is one of my favorite shows because there is a complexity of a story. It's well written, it's well acted. But there's also a narrative that goes through it that, that is reflective, that is introspective that you have to kind of put yourself in this in the framework mm-hmm. of, if I was this character, what would I do? And, and there's, there's questions I think often where you know what's right and what's wrong, but you don't know always what's wise and what's unwise. Mm-hmm. And I think that's often where we find ourselves, at least as parents, is discerning. It's not always what's right and what's wrong, but what's wise and unwise for, for our kids. So that yeah. always steps into it. Before we get too serious though, what are comedies that you like? Movies, shows, um, some things that stand out and it is a family podcast, Ben. Um, so I'm totally kidding. Um, so, what, what are, Ben, what are some comedies that, that you like um,
0: outside of Christopher Guest movies that you love? <laughs> Christopher Guest? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> it. Makes me the oddball, I know. Uh, let's see. I enjoyed The Office. I enjoyed how they created a whole new genre of comedy based on the awkward. And people say I look like Jim sometimes so i I think that's maybe a good thing i don't know i'm more of a throwback guy like the old just the you know i do enjoy the ridiculous comedies like tommy boy yeah Um, yeah yeah. just a little more lighthearted, uh slapstick that kind of thing but uh just you know classic characters all-time characters i don't know what about you ken
1: have a lot of people said you look like jim i've never heard that before is that one person is that a My wife. Yeah okay. yeah. okay. Well, there it is. Yeah. Well,
2: that's all that matters. No, it did.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, um, I watch a lot of comedy. I, I feel like comedy, good comedians, are actually pretty wise people, typically, because the good comedy has its roots in what is true of the world, and then it points out, um, sometimes in subtle ways or not so subtle ways, what the things that make us ridiculous as people you know and recently I mean sure there's no other there's no better show than The Office that really does that uh, so well of uh, really just asking the question of what are the what are the awkward or uncomfortable interactions we have in an office setting that we could then you know turn up to 11 (laughs) there's your Christopher Guest reference um, to to really enhance just the humor of it and typically there usually has to be a constant person in the show like there has to be someone who through whom you can see the ridiculousness, like they're the normal person amidst the chaos. So in The Office, that is Jim Halpert. I mean, I think of like uh, a show, I mean, for me, there's three comedies that we just kind of rotate between, which is uh, The Office, Arrested Development, the first three seasons. Also have to be careful recommending that one, you know, there's language and things like that in that one. But then also Seinfeld, um, which just Seinfeld itself has its roots in the mundane things that we have to do on a daily basis but sometimes all the social constructs that we put around that thing, right. right? I mean, there was an entire episode about waiting for a table at a Chinese restaurant. You know, and there's all the, all the social questions, like what's acceptable, what's not acceptable in, in every scenario, you know, or... Um,
2: we watched the Merv Griffin episode last night. Well, yeah. The, <laughs> the Merv Griffin set. It's a classic. And yeah. I could not stop laughing because of just how amazingly well acted that whole mm-hmm. episode and how well written that mm-hmm. episode is and the fluidity of it is it's unparalleled. So it's
1: because the reality is every late night talk show that you watch, there is, there's an alternate set of expectations. You're, yeah. you're, view- yeah. you're, viewing it as though, well, of course, like, you know, if Jimmy Fallon has, um, you know, Pierce Brosnan on the show, he's going to, he's going to play Goldeneye with him on Nintendo, like, and that, that lets you believe that this is a normal setting. However, in reality, a late night talk show has a very different set of way of operating from normal life which Seinfeld highlights by the fact of, well, when Kramer finds an old, the old Merv Griffin set, he puts it into his apartment, so then whenever someone comes over, he acts as though they're a guest on the show. And <laughs> guests on shows operate differently than friends stopping by apartments. So it just highlights the the unique nature of all of kind of the social constructs that we put around things. Right. Some of them we notice and some of them we don't, and Seinfeld was just, was just a master of that. One.
2: Now, all the things that we just referenced so we wouldn't let our kids watch right now. Correct. Right and not that our kids would have the uh, ability to completely understand it. So th- there, there is that line though of, of being able to say hey I'm, I'm great with my kids watching this or seeing that. So uh, Kent you and I have kids the same age so, so foreign to uh, Ben you've got kids just a touch older but Ben, I want to start with you. What are shows that you see your kids watching that you're saying, "Hey, that that's actually a show that I can, I can get behind," or maybe this is a show we watch as a family. I know you guys love Amazing Race together, um, and I feel like I love just the worldview that that you guys, that you and Anna bring out of that because there's certain things that you definitely disagree with, either language that's said or, or maybe people that and some of the choices they make, but you have really good conversations around it. And so, yeah, can yeah. you just kind of talk about that
0: within your home? Well. The main show I don't want my kids watching is Shark Tank because I know they're going to start selling me things before long. and <laughs> yeah, I don't have the money to afford my kids' ingenuity. Uh, but no, amazing. I'm <laughs> kidding. Amazing Race. Thanks uh, for telling everyone you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In case you didn't know, Ben was a dad. That
1: joke just proved it. <laughs> <laughs> Good dad jokes. That's my favorite
0: brand of humor right there. <laughs> amazing Race is a great example. We. We have enjoyed watching that. And again, a part of it goes back to media entertainment that takes you places. <laughs> yeah. I love seeing my kids become awake to and alive to the different cultures of the world. And this show, Amazing Race, if you know, for those who haven't seen it, is a essentially a game show where a group of people are racing around the world and they have to complete tasks in different cultures. Uh, yeah. And they fly all over the world. And a different team is eliminated each round and so forth. Um, so you get to see a lot of neat things around the globe. Now, yes, they also uh, there are times where there is language, or there are um, things that are celebrated, maybe different vices uh, that we wouldn't hope for our kids to embrace, maybe even different identity confusion issues. And we, you know, we we always feel like we're trying to live on that line between when do we just say time to turn it off versus when to say okay this isn't entirely a bad thing to allow our kids to be exposed to something in a controlled environment where they're not being directly taught but they're being indirectly exposed to something that i can then take the moment to step into and say hey let's just process for a second what we saw in this episode Um, what is right and what is wrong in the world Uh, what is consistent what aligns with how God teaches us to be and to do and what doesn't, but even to go beyond that and to also recognize, okay, so some of these people in this show, they are fighting against a tendency towards sin just the same way that you and I fight against a tendency towards sin and they need the forgiveness and the redirection of the gospel just the same way that you and I do. We're not better than them. We just have a hope that comes from you know, Christ's Life, death, and resurrection, which we would hope for them too, uh, but we can we can see a difference without always having to deny or turn away. And how does that play out in discussions between your sixth grader, your fourth
2: grader, and your first grader? Because I would imagine what your sixth grader is dealing with and some of the social constructs that she has, there's some vastly different conversations there in comparison to what you'd be having with your first grader or even yeah. your fourth grade boy.
0: Well, you know, and that's the art of parenting. Is, is some of it is anticipating, but some of it is reactive. I'm gauging what each kid is ready to talk about, based on the things that they're bringing home from school, you know, the things that they're asking me questions about, um, the ways that I see them interacting with their friends, the types of media I see them being drawn to. So, you know, I've got one kid who I think I could probably talk about just about any kind of world reality with. and I've got another kid who is innocent enough still that it wouldn't even make sense to try to help her understand it. Yeah. It, w- it would be lost on her. Um, so, and then somewhere in the middle, there's this, you know, this this awakening, this evolution process. And sometimes I don't know when they're ready and when they're not, but um, I I get the sense, and from people who have mentored me, there are things uh, that our kids are. Being exposed to earlier and earlier and earlier, and that when you think it might be getting to be time to have different kinds of conversations, whether it's about sexuality or something else, um, it probably is. It's probably Agreed. not too soon.
2: Agreed. So, Agreed. So, Ken, tough. going to going to you and our kids are a little bit younger, and I know mm-hmm. kind of how Katie and I've wrestled with things. What What about you and Susan within your own household? Yeah, in some ways it's a little bit it's different than what Ben was talking
1: about because when you know, when our children are this young there's um, there's an aspect of just you're just you're just wanting to show them the delight of the world mm. and and you're wanting to guard them from everything else. Now I, I would say the role of you know, I, I view the role of parenting as not to shelter my children from the world. My role is to equip them to engage with the world. When they're when they're this little it looks more like sheltering than it does you know, walking them through various scenarios. Um, I'd say media in whatever form can, can really be, a, it can be a stress test for your worldview. Um, Mm. it's it's a way to it's a way to kind of role-play scenarios without having to live them
0: yeah
1: now we can go totally I'd say as adults we can kind of binge on the other direction which is we're role-playing all these scenarios that we're not actually involved in because we don't actually know people we just think we do because you know we watch The Office every night or whatever right but for our kids it's a great way to basically kind of just role-play for them of okay what does this what is yeah what does this life situation look like and how do we engage that and what is you know what does God say about these things But for, you know, so I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and uh, you really kind of, you know, as most of you parents know, I mean, when you have multiple children at home, you kind of default to like a median age of them. Right. Right. So I split the middle, and it's kind of three. And so my four-year-old, you know, it's like we kind of want to rein him back a little bit because we're not going to separate the two, you know, our two boys from, it's like, okay, well, you're watching TV, so you can't make sure you're not in the room where the television is. And so you kind of just have to kind of pick a median age a little bit. And right now, I feel like my job is to uh, expose them to things that will teach them about um, God's creative world and God's creativity, as well as expose them to things that I think are good art so that they can actually have develop an emotional intuitiveness to what good art is without having to, like, teach Without having to specifically talk about it, so in
2: early childhood, what what would you think is good art? So,
1: I, honestly, I mean, so a little bit of this, much of this is subjective to me. Like I'll have a definition of what good is that someone else won't. Is an example like I, I just I don't I'm, I'm not an anime person, but another parent would really appreciate the genre of anime, and so you know will have their kids watch up growing growing up watching those things. For me, I'm just I want to I want them to watch things that I think have good. Um, so like if they're watching a cartoon. Is the illustration good? Right. If they're watching a show, what is the editing style? So, like I've seen, I've seen children's shows that are specifically marketed to children that that cut every second. Mm. And to me, that's just a great way to build up uh, attention deficit because you're not looking at anything for longer than one second. And that's just not something I want my kids watching. Right? They don't need any help with that. But you know, does it tell? Does it tell a good story? Does it? use actual human emotions does it expose them to things that are true about the world and so you know right now where my little guys are it's things that are you know science-based I mean things that are teaching them what are different kinds of sea mammals right you know you're an expert in sea mammals if you are a marine biologist or if you're a four-year-old
2: that takes us back to Seinfeld and
1: exactly and so just things like that that I want them to be watching things that have I would say like a good you know good and valuable animation quality, good and valuable writing, good and valuable editing. And I mean, the reality is we're in, we're kind of in an abundance of riches right now as a society in terms of storytelling. I mean, we've got, you've got basically Netflix, Amazon, Disney and Apple are all like in an arms race right now, trying to have the best quality things available. Apple's supposedly coming out with the streaming service this year. Disney's will be coming out with it later this year as well. And so you've got all these things that are vying for people's attention, that are vying for storytelling. And so um, the things that I want to guard my children against at this age right now, I don't want to put them in avenues that are just open free-for-alls. So for me, that means YouTube. I Agreed. I don't believe that I... I don't want my children ever watching YouTube. Because it's an it's an open garden, there aren't walls. Now YouTube builds in some you know some parameters, but when any user can submit anything, you might know what you ta- you might know the video that you tapped on, but you don't know what video is going to be recommended next. Now you know is there sketchy stuff within Netflix, Amazon? Yes, of course. However, it's a walled garden in the sense that you have to get through a layer of um, you know. And so I like having things that are walled guard. That if you're in the wrong kind of profile, now that they've switched to video previews, it's a little tricky. So yeah. when I logged on last night, the video preview that it immediately started playing was of a Hitman. And so it's like, well, that's not really something I want my four-year-old watching. So I have to be careful when he logs on Netflix that he's getting the children's profile. Just things like that. Even within that, those categories, there's a few shows that I tend to gravitate towards with my four-year-old and two-year-old that they, that they really love and that um, I appreciate for the genre that they're at right now, or the age they're at right now. Now I'm very much looking forward to them growing because I mean, to be honest, I'm really looking forward to watching you know Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, whatever with my you know with my boys as they get older. Yeah. But right now I want to make sure that they're um, engaging in things that are at least enjoyable for them and I think are healthy.
2: There's a for us at least we've we've noticed kind of this comeback within Katie and I and uh, and our household for the old Disney movies and I'm talking like. Peter Pan, Cinderella and seeing some of that, seeing the fact that that our kids are intrigued by that. One of the shows that that I love us watching and I love the kids watching is Curious George because of the simplicity, because of the the animation style. But kind of going off of what you were saying Kent, at least what what I've seen and and been going to some of what you were saying as well. Charlotte Mason, the the English uh, educational I'd say almost deity at this point for some, had, had a word that she would call for books, particularly called twaddle, T-W-A-D-D-L-E, and it means trivial or foolish speech or writing. And so there are things out there that she would define as, it's just fluff, it doesn't really add anything to, to the moral compass or the spiritual compass of, of what we're trying to develop in our children, and the mission of our school is to help develop students with a Christian worldview. So in that, she would say things like Paw Patrol, would be twaddle. And so while I think Paw Patrol's fine, there's nothing great about it. It doesn't really add anything to my child, but it also cuts with a lot of clipping and there's a lot of action, there's a lot of bright lights. And my child sitting and watching a few episodes of that or clips of it is going to be very different than watching maybe even a Daniel Tiger or an episode from Mr. Rogers. And by the way, Mr. Rogers is readily available on the PBS app as well as the Amazon Prime app, go back and watch some of that. And as, as one great person said, uh, if you wanted to do everything wrong in television and put it into one show, you had Mr. Rogers. The reality is Mr. Rogers had a really great worldview of how he thought children should develop as, as citizens. And he was able to incorporate so much of that into his, into his show, but I find my little ones, even though we've, we've experimented some with YouTube, we've since pulled that back, We've, we've had the, the Paw Patrols, we've had the Curious Georges, we've had the Disney, they love Mr. Rogers because there's an exploration piece, there's the land of make-believe, there's a lot of, of truth there that comes out of that. And parents who've heard me talk, number two, at least on my list, is that all truth is God's truth. And to, to quote John Piper in order, in that, that truth should point us back to, to Christ and desire more of Him and to know more of Him. And I feel like Mr. Rogers, while it's a secular show, is able to at least understand it, how great this world is. You know, how, how do they make towels? How do they make these certain things and these inquisitive pieces that our, that our kids are about? Um, and it's a, it's a fun question to ask. So one more thing, we've kind of gotten on the kids, but I want to, I want to push this more universally as, as us, as, as parents and, and raising children, kind of going back to our first question, and Ben, you asked this question in a sermon recently: How do I fit into the story? And so I want to push that back to you. Uh, you had said that a good story makes you become a part of the story. Jesus mm-hmm. did this really well. He was a great storyteller. When you watch a story, you see your kids watch a story. What what tugs on their heartstrings, and what tugs on your heartstrings as a father?
0: Well, yeah, it's true. You know, so many of Jesus' parables. Were designed in the end to make you ask, which character am I playing? You know, which one am I acting out? I think I think as a father in particular, I think many men, we we, we are drawn toward the big epics, you know, the the battle movies, whether it's World War II or Ancient Rome, because we want to be the hero. You know, I am William Wallace. Right. I am John Wayne. For me, I want my son to be Dick Winters
2: and a band of brothers. There you go. Right.
0: And so there's something formative about that that's, that calls us to a, a more noble version of ourselves. That calls us to courage in a world that is conflicted, deeply conflicted. Um, that, that calls us to uh, dignity, a tenacity that I think is a good thing to have born into our kids and into ourselves. There's also the level to which you can go to say, you know what, I'm just one of the many, many soldiers standing behind William Wallace. Mm. And to recognize in movies, maybe I'm not the hero, but Jesus is, and I'm the one being saved, or I'm the one following this great and um, kind of larger than life hero, is it's a different way that, that I'm learning to watch movies sometimes or read stories, and uh, and it gives me, you know, for every great movie, it gives me another facet through which to understand Jesus and what it meant for him to sacrifice to come into the fray and uh, to to guarantee victory for us. So, I'm mm-hmm. um, trying to help my kids realize that that's another way of, of identifying with uh, themselves in a story, and. Uh, be humble and be grateful in that way. No,
2: that's great,
0: yeah. Kent. What
1: about you? Yeah, I always say that Batman always makes you want to be a hero, and Superman always want, wants to make you uh, always makes you want to have a savior. Hmm. Um, if you were to ask, just to do a survey of elementary school boys, who's your favorite superhero? Probably most of them would say Batman because he's the one superhero that doesn't have any, doesn't have any superpowers. Right. He's the one who's attainable. Um, he's the one who is just using his wits and you know his large. Uh, buckets of money to, to fight crime whereas Superman and other heroes they always have superpowers that they're endowed with in some way to make them different than humanity however both of them are true in the sense that um, I, I love when I was growing up I loved stories of Batman because it helped me envision what does it mean to fight crime uh, C.S. Lewis once said when someone asked him about his friend Tolkien's orc, Lord of the Rings uh, he said you know I've, I've never met an orc in real life but I've met a lot of men that act like them and so stories like that help us to help little boys and little girls learn how to um, engage with the world and how to engage evil, how to fight dragons. Because dragons really exist, they're not in the form that you think they do. Um, and then also at the same time, you know, none of us are a Gandalf. I mean, none of us are, you know, we are not the hero of the story ultimately. We are not, we're not our own messiah. And so therefore, how do you train them to also want to rescue you know, that's something I think that the Jesus Storybook Bible does really well, is it brings out this sense of continually repeating this theme of, like, we're people needing rescue. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I, I want my boys to grow up knowing to be bold and brave because God has made us men who can, who can face evil and be unafraid, knowing that the Lord is on our side. And also to be men who walk humbly with their God, knowing that we are just men and so ultimately we need a savior because even despite our best efforts we we are you know uh we are our own worst enemies sometimes and so I I want my boys to grow up knowing and loving stories that will both teach them they'll teach them kind of both sides of that coin one how to be your hero and two how to know that you're not the hero and I think both of those are hard to do well um, but both of them have aspect have stories that can help Help them envision that because, again, I feel like stories are role-playing. They're stress-testing our worldview into the world, and it allows us to see ourself um, acting as a, a godly and noble man.
2: And I would say to, to quote Rudyard Kipling in his poem, if, if you can keep your head when all about you, are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too." And he goes on. Lines and lines of wisdom. It says, you can be a man, my son. And, you know, I would say that I want the same for my daughter. I want I want that wisdom and I want that, that biblical wisdom to come in. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really beautiful uh, thing that both of you guys shared. So, And the yeah.
1: reality is that um Good stories, you know, good TV shows are honest about the world and are honest about our limitations too. One one of the delights of Mister Rogers that you mentioned earlier. I mean, that my wife and I recently uh, watched. We showed our four year old for the first time an episode of Mister Rogers, and it was the episode where he has on a boy in, a, in an electric wheelchair. Yeah, and by the Jeffrey. end of the ep- yeah by the end of the episode, my wife and I were both bawling. We were both crying, and my four year old loved it. Um, because it was an episode that was honest about the world and honest about pain and but it was there was so much dignity there and just Mr. Rogers just being honest just being honest in the situation to ask him you know do you do you hurt now and he said no And he said do you you know and he said do you feel blue and he said sometimes and he said but I don't feel blue right now you know. And so it allows, you know, stories like that allow children to uh, engage with the world as God created and with the reality of the fall um, in a way that allows us to move beyond ourselves and ultimately move towards people because that's the goal is loving God and loving others as ourselves. And so stories like, just to emphasize Mr. Rogers, really can help us learn to love our neighbors ourselves well because it shows us, it helps us to give a broader definition to the question
2: of who is our neighbor and what does it mean to love them well said. we're gonna end it there guys thank you thank you very much kds parents keep coming at us with ideas keep coming at us with with what you guys want to listen to but for the most part uh, thank you all for listening and we'll be back soon